Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 12. It's uh, Clyde's uh, big day. He went and won the All-Star Race last night. Uh, we'll be uh, talking about the IndyCar doubleheader at, at Iowa Speedway. We'll also be talking about the Formula One uh, Grand Prix of Hungary this weekend. There's also IMSA at Sebring for a sprint race, which is unusual, of course, but, you know, because of COVID. Uh, and then we'll also talk about the second straight week of NHRA action at Indianapolis Raceway Park or Lucas Oil Raceway Park or whatever it's named these days. I'm Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, man? What did you think of uh, last night? Well, uh, the All-Star race last night, uh, it was all right, but it wasn't uh, completely what I think everybody and myself were expecting to see. Yeah, I mean, that's that was uh, something that, you know, there was a lot of high hopes for it being at Bristol only the second time it's not been at Charlotte Motor Speedway in its entire history. The previous time was 1986. It was at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, big fat Mike Helton was uh, the president there. He was one of the big shots there at Atlanta Motor Speedway or Atlanta International, whatever, before Bruton bought it. And Bill Elliott won in dominant fashion. I think about 17 people were there and uh, they said, oh, no, we can't have that. We need to have the the all-star race or Winston as it was back then back at Charlotte. And it's been there ever since Uh, this year. They had to move it because of covid. Uh, I would also venture to say that Charlotte's one of the crappiest racetracks they run on the whole entire circuit. So it kind of worked itself out in a sense that, oh, after a great Bristol race and you had COVID going on, move it to Bristol. Unfortunately, neither the open race or the uh, actual all-star race really um, had a whole lot of interesting action. Um, in terms of the open race, before we get into uh, good old William Clyde Elliott, the second, uh, getting his first All-Star win, um, the All-Star Open kind of was anticlimactic in the sense that Eric Almirola has been the best, one of the best cars out there uh, in recent weeks. Uh, six straight top ten finishes, five straight top fives before that. Uh, wins the first segment relative easy, relatively easy. William Byron, who we'll be talking about in a little more detail uh, in a moment, uh, won segment two. Matt DiBurrito with the Wood Brothers gets the third segment win. Um, Clint Boyer from Kansas uh, ends up winning the fan vote um, in part because of uh, the one thing that I think was action the whole entire night, the only action that really took place uh, was uh, early in the race. Michael McDowell started, got Drew pole for the open and was getting passed left and right, was in the way, was really slow uh, the whole entire time. And I think he got moved by virtually every driver. I think Al Marola moved him, Byron moved him, or Byron was behind him, sorry. There's other guys that moved him. And then Bubba Wallace got into him in one and two. It was about 17 laps into the first segment. So it was halfway through the first segment. And then um, now you could debate on who's who did what or how, how it went. But long story short, um, Bubba Wallace got turned, was turned right into the wall and his car was destroyed. Now, depending on whether you're Boomer or Karen, um, you would say that they were fixing the votes that he'd be in. You could also look at the fact that he was the only car that had a camera in the open, to my knowledge. I don't know. Did you see anybody else in the open that had a, a camera, Josh? No, I didn't see anybody else that had a, a camera on that. Yeah, but. so, so I mean, I figure they knew or they were under some pretense that Bubba was either going to make it or that he had the fan vote whether you want to believe that it was fixed or not, which when even when Boyer gets it, you can make that same question, honestly, because of who these sponsors, at least one of his sponsors and what they're about. But um, 
basically, uh, in terms of the Open, what did you think of the racing itself? I mean, we I think when we picked it a couple of days ago, we were looking at rookies. We were looking at some other guys to really um, advance or, or, you know, like Tyler Reddick. But Tyler Reddick was lost. He didn't have a good car at all. His car was absolute junk. I think that was across the board for most of the Chevys, um, minus Clyde. Um, what were your thoughts on the open and also the incident um, that took place with Bubba and then the residing, the resulting comments and all the stuff that happened there? Yeah, I mean, the All-Star Open wasn't really, like, that compelling. Um, most of the action that might have happened was really, like, in the middle of the field. I mean, there was uh, a bit of uh, three-wide action in the turns coming off the corner, and then I think at the beginning or, or shortly after that, there was... Uh, even a, little, a brief moment of four wide, which like you never see at Bristol, um, and just other than that, like up front there, you know, once once uh, Eric Almirola got in the lead uh, from Michael McDowell, like he took off and it was smooth sailing from there, and you didn't have to really worry about anything, and there wasn't really any anything to worry about, and you know, at the end, uh, Clint Boyer like had a chance to get to Matt DeBeno. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto's uh, bumper um, at the end, but he didn't quite get close enough to really, like, give him a shot or anything. And then uh, after about, like, the first five laps of that last segment, he kind of uh, wore out his tires and couldn't make a run up there until, like, maybe the very end, but then it was too late. And then, you know, like, it, it just didn't seem like um, it was going to be conducive to... Um, a lot of passing up front and seemed like if you could get the lead off the restart, um, as long as like you had a good handling car, uh, you, you know, you could make it, uh, happen and not really have to worry about any, anybody trying to pass you. But, uh, as far as the incident, uh, with Bubba Wallace and, uh, Michael McDowell, uh, you know, like you come off a turn two and Michael McDowell gets a little tap out of the way. And of course, yeah, because he was kind of slow and, uh, Bubba Wallace is trying to prove himself because, you know, as as much as uh, we thought he might win the fan vote, I think he really, really wanted to uh, try to merit, uh, make it on his own merit, which is what he should be doing anyways and should be uh, credited for, you know, trying to uh, uh, do that. But then at the same time, like Michael McDowell, you know, he shouldn't have um, turned left like that in the middle of the straightaway. Um, you know, it, it was a very egregious move. There's nothing really you can say about it other than that you know you, um, it's not an accident or anything and and you know maybe I, I saw one comment on Twitter that I thought was kind of funny or actually it was on Reddit it's like you know some some drivers are are bad enough that if they get too close to the wall they panic and turn left and because they have no talent and you know that's Michael McDowell um, and then he ended up wrecking himself anyways because uh, Mike or William Byron was right behind him and. He, uh, he got clipped off of that, and he got some damage, and uh, he, he did end up finishing the race, but, like, he was no longer in contention for anything, really. And then Bubba got, you know, obviously taken out, and, you know, the, the comments afterwards for, uh, from Bubba were pretty straightforward, and, um, I mean, really in a vacuum should be viewed as a driver just angry that he got wrecked for no reason and nothing more than that. And then the comments from uh, Austin Wayne self, you know what he said i was shouldn't have shouldn't have said that but you know obviously people are gonna say dumb things and dumb people are gonna say dumb things and it seemed like to me like on twitter like the reaction from the stands you know there was booze there was cheers um people um supporting bubba before the race during during introductions and people booing him so i think i think the crowd seemed to be mixed on you know there wasn't like a hundred percent oh um, they were happy that he got taken out or 100 percent, you know, that they were upset that he had taken out. So uh, I think it was pretty mixed in the crowd. Um, it just depended on, like, who you were getting, um, at least, you know, from the reports on Twitter, who you were seeing it from, because it seemed like there was all kinds of reports that were swinging either one direction or the other. But, you know, that's how it is. Um, we'll see how it goes from there. And if uh, Bubba decides to race uh, mcdowell pretty aggressive uh coming forward maybe i don't know maybe uh coming up here at texas he'll um 
help him remember his uh, incident from 2008. Well, maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll see that happen. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I get that's a good comment. I mean, yeah, a lot of great points there, man. Uh, I like the comment that you made about uh, from Reddit because it's true. Uh, you he had basically a foot off the wall. Uh, he, he was or he was a foot off the wall. And whether you want to question whether he got touched by Byron or not, Byron and his and his spotter both said that he flat hooked him. Um, you when when you see that and you see how much destruction was there, he hooked him. Uh, whether it was premeditated or not, it's Michael McDowell. I mean, the fact is with Michael McDowell. Um, I mean, I mean, there's a segment of the population that love that and that. And for those people, you can go fuck yourselves. Um, the fact that um, somebody hooks somebody else in the right rear is just I mean, Dale Jr. said it best. I mean, that's Bush League. That's not that's not racing. It's it's BS. Um, the the notion that Michael McDowell did that when his his claim to fame is being the all time leader and finishing last. Uh, because he was starting parking for Phil Parsons for years uh, and uh, wrecking at Texas in, in a Michael Waltrip death trap back in 2008. Like that's literally his whole and, – and, and, and then also getting his ass kicked by Daniel Suarez at Phoenix last year. So that's literally his whole entire cup career in a nut. Now, if you want to say Bubba Wallace is cocky, arrogant, okay. If you want to say that he, you know, the he lied about the noose and you'd be wrong, but um, he didn't see it. But, you know, that it was there. If you want to go and talk about he hasn't done anything in cop, but you're going to support guys like Austin Wayne self and Michael McDowell. You're kind of making an ass out of yourself that way. What send? I think the long, long story short is the 43, as Josh said, had a chance on merit to make it. Uh, I think he would have been able to. Uh, the way things kind of fell and panned out, I think he would have been able if he had been, if he had gotten through that segment, got some adjustments on tires. I think he would have made it on merit, and then Boyer would have made it, and you'd have gotten the best of both worlds anyway. Um, last year, he won a segment in the Open and finished fifth in the All-Star Race. I've, and Bristol is one of his better racetracks, um, destroying a perfectly good race car for whatever reason. And he hasn't been out and he hasn't said anything. So obviously, McDowell wants to get hooked in the wall. So hopefully he does it at Texas. It'll be fun. Um, since everything is fair game, you know, let's go and hook somebody at 180 miles an hour. We'll see how good it feels for him, you know. Um, it's, uh, it, it, I mean, it's just such, it's a hacky move, but it's not unexpected. It's something like Miss Hummer would have done or somebody who's a never will be. Um, and for, if you want to hate bubble walls, it's fine. I guess this isn't going to be your show for you. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend some of the things he's done. Cause obviously there's certain things and certain ways he could have gone about it that if I was his PR guy, I wouldn't have had him do. Um, I think fundamentally, if I was a PR guy, some of the crap he has done wouldn't have happened. But, hey, he's his own man. He's got sponsors. He's got things. He's in the Cup Series. Um, there seems like there's a good shot that he's going to continue to be in the Cup Series. Um, so for white folks that hate him or people that hate him, uh, for the Confederate band, which the fact of the matter is a Confederate band, they've been trying to do that since 2015. They're just putting it on Bubba because it's convenient. Um, if you could, if some of these people should read and look back at what BZF was doing and you want to be mad at somebody probably should be mad at him uh, in terms of this sport and why the sport is the way it is. He's a scapegoat and his own personality and the way he goes about business doesn't help his cause. I mean, that's the fundamental, this is the thing. When you consider that the only thing that ha interesting that happened in, in, the, in the race last night was that, tells you how bad this race was. Uh, going into the all-star race itself, uh, we'll go and move on. Uh, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, the top five, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, 
Alex Bowman, Al Marola, Martin Truex, the top 10. Martin Truex failed inspection for the umpteenth time, so he had to start last. Uh, he was going to start on the pole. He started last. Uh, Kurt Busch got spun by Brad, um, and uh, he was not a factor the rest of the night. Then there was a spin for no neck in the second stage, and then they didn't have a caution after that outside of stage breaks. So they only had two cautions. It was a one-groove racetrack. What is it? Blaney won. I think he won both segments, or two of the – he won segment two or or one and two or some shit like that. Yeah, so stage one, yeah. So he won segment one, and then Harvick there. Chase Elliott won segment two. Blaney took the lead um, in segment three, but then Elliott won segment three and segment four. So um, basically, how about a good old William Clyde Elliott getting his first uh, all-star win there? It was a pretty dominant performance. One groove racetrack, um, not being able to make the high groove work was a real issue there, right, Josh? Yeah, definitely it was uh, really hard to do for most cars. And I think Chase Elliott was really like maybe one of the few cars that actually um, made the, the high line work. And he, especially like uh, off of the restart, too, because there was a couple of moments where like he darted to the outside and, you know, the middle of the or like entry of the turn or middle of the turn. And, and he was able to uh, go around the car like I think it was. It was uh, one of the positions up front. If it wasn't for the lead, it was either for second or third. But when I, I saw he was able to do things like that, like uh, I thought it was uh, showed that it was very, very much going to be a, a Chase Elliott type of night, and it was showed that he had a very, just very dominant car. And you know, Ryan Blaney had a good car too. You know, he was able to, you know, I thought that you know him staying out on old tires and most of the field not staying or you know coming into the pits. Um, I think after the second stage, like, you, know, you would have thought that, oh, that would have worked out for him. But he, uh, like, even though he didn't keep the lead, like, it didn't, like, drop like a rock. And he was actually able to maintain for the most part uh, throughout the end of the race. And, you know, he was, even though he didn't win, like, you know, it showed how tires didn't really matter as much as we thought it would based on the fact that he was, like, able to uh, keep the lead or, or, you know, keep his position in the top five. So that, you know, showed that tires didn't matter. But for the most part, you know, it was uh, very, very uneventful. Um, Just, you know, kind of a disappointment. You know, we thought it would be like, you know, 1992 all over again with uh, that, how that race kind of played out. But, you know, it wasn't wasn't that um, as does Bristol deserve a shot next year as the all-star race is kind of a permanent fixture, uh, perhaps. But then again, like. I would like to see it. You know, it'd be cool to see it at uh, some place like Martinsville. It's probably the other place where it would probably work pretty well. Um, and Martinsville, you know, it doesn't depend like on, on the PJ one and and the uh, the High Line as uh, you know Bristol does, or even like other short tracks like New Hampshire or um, Richmond. But I think Martinsville might be a better place than Bristol. But, you know, Bristol has that atmosphere and and kind of the the charm and um, maybe a little bit more than Martinsville. You know, and if they decide to go back to a mile and a half track, then I'd probably put it at at Homestead or something like that if um, they decide not to go back to Bristol next year. Yeah, when you look at, I think, the the one deal for this all-star race is – it's an SMI property, so the, there's a lot more, it's a lot less options for tracks and time and where they can go and run the race or when they can run the race, unfortunately. I mean, I, I mean, going to Martinsville, going to Homestead would both be better options and where they, having what they had last night, which was basically a one-groove racetrack, you couldn't even the cars didn't even work in a way where you could even beat and bang nothing. There was they were complaining of aero tight or aero loose at Bristol. Um, you're missing the boat here with these cars when you're talking about aero 
at a half mile racetrack. I don't. When they talked about the when I like you think about the ASA or you're thinking about late model, you think about some of these other types of series that run on short tracks. It's not about arrow. I mean, there was huge gap. It, to me, like, honest to God, I don't know what you thought, Josh, but the fact is, it was like a 550 race to me. Um, there was nothing going on. It was just, it was, it was so underwhelming and, and it was so disappointing, really. For all the buildup and all the talk and everything, it was, it was a parade. I mean, it was a Chase Elliott parade and, and, you know, if you're a Chase Elliott fan or even if you're a Blaney fan, he had a good car. And I think the decision that him not coming into the pits uh, was the factor that was a fact was a fact was one of the factors wasn't the absolute determining factor. He wasn't as fast as Chase Elliott. So he wasn't going to be nobody was going to beat the beat him. The only car that had anything late was Harvick. Harvick was coming up through the field on new tires, had made some adjustments, finally had hit on it on the, of course, they have to copy, Anheuser-Busch has to copy Miller and Miller Coors. So now they have whatever the, what is it, the, the, the Bush Light Red or whatever, Bush Light Apple, like, so it's like Red's Apple Ale except worse, um, car, and he he was coming up, and of course, no caution comes out. Like, I don't know. It was just disappointing, to say the least. I mean, Kyle Busch was up there trying to make the high line work, couldn't make anything happen. And he was actually talking, and he was not, like, complete douche. So that was something. Um, it shows, like, he's mellowing out, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I thought he was going to win this race. Uh, I picked him to win the race on both shows, and... He had a chance, but he wasn't as fast as old Clyde. So um, we'll see what he does at Texas here this weekend. Um, it's one of the worst racetracks they go to. Another racetrack they're going to have tons of PJ1 on, probably in the wrong spot, um, take making and limiting the ways you can go and pass or do whatever. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, uh, before we go and move on to IndyCar and Formula One, um, in terms of the gimmicks they had, last night um before i get on them uh they had the whatever glow under like the fast and furious glow thing lights um i was under the impression it was going to be around the whole car but then when they brought it out it was just literally on the bumper and then they did it by manufacturer instead of by the paint scheme so the chevys looked like they were on fire the Fords were blue, and then the Toyotas were red. So there was the light thing. You had the numbers move towards the rear of the rear tire, and then you had more door space for the sponsor, which, okay. And then the last thing was the choose cone, um, which by after I think the first time they did it in the open, they stopped showing the choose cone the rest of the night. So typical Fox. Uh, so uh, Josh, what are your thoughts? Do you, I mean, the NASCAR um, fan council asked about all of those things and they asked about whether you would like to see them in any of the major three series going forward in points races. So um, would you want to see any of those or all of those in the trucks, Xfinity, or Cup, why or why not? Um, so I'll go on the, the lights first. But, I mean, I the lights, it was a, about as pure of a gimmick as you can get. Uh, and they talked about the lights, like how it probably appeals more to children than it does to adults. And they're probably correct about that. But, it you know, it was it was uh, nothing more than a gimmick. And... And it didn't fit for the Fords and the, the the Toyotas for the most part. It just looked very out of place. Uh, in you, you're right about the the Chevys. They looked like they were on fire. I mean, I'll go to say that it looked more like they turned up the jets, like they had like an afterburner or something like on a rocket. So maybe that might have made it looked a little bit cool, you know, with the amber color. But you know, it wasn't you know really much and didn't add anything. And 
if they're gonna do it again, like I guess I'd be okay with it as long as like they didn't like make it a full time thing, you know, for every race. If they just kept it at the All Star race, then you know, I guess we can live with that. You know, it's not the the biggest thing in the world to you know gripe about in NASCAR. There are far more greater things to be angry about and than just lights on the bumper. And you know, I thought it was gonna be like uh, the picture that we saw of Kurt Busch doing the burnout in uh, the celebration last year where, you know, he had the whole car um, in like under glowing in green. And we thought it'd be kind of like that. But then again, maybe that might be a little bit too distracting or something like that, you know, and would have maybe been more of a, um, a hurt for the drivers, I guess. And they, you know, would have been very distracting, which I, I could probably agree with that. But, you know, it's probably just better if they just didn't have lights under the cars in general there's no reason really to have it and then as far as the choose cone rule um yeah like fox didn't show it and after like the you know the first segment of the open and it didn't really like show the because that was like kind of the big part of the hype was that you know maybe we're going to see better restarts or cars not losing as many positions and staying in contention and you know they didn't really highlight it after the first segment and i thought um fox did a poor job of presenting was supposed to be a critical portion of or you know critical part of that um all-star race and i think out of all the things they did last night i think that's when probably have the best chance of being implemented next year and i think they should and they may as well uh it was a thing at major short tracks and people have been complaining for years about how the low line has hurt restarts at uh, nascar tracks and and how it just never, for the most part, it just never gets going. And there, I mean, there are other reasons. I mean, there are things that you could probably do to fix that. But the fact is, is like even coming like off the starting line, um, like once you get into the turns, it seems like on a restart, the high line is the way to go. Even if the low line is the fast line, it's just like for whatever reason, the when off of a restart, like it, you you want to be on the the outside for sure. Um, so I wouldn't mind that one being implemented next year across the entire series and, and the entire sport. And then as, as for the uh, number change, the one thing they have to consider for that is that once they implement the next-gen car, there's not going to be a whole lot of room on the rear quarter panel for the number if they decide to place it there, like kind of like what we saw with Harrison Burton in the K&N series a couple of years ago. And also the kind of the area where we normally see the sponsors um, on the uh, rear side of the car above the wheel, there's not going to be a whole lot of room there for brand visibility. So uh, the reason why they're moving it is kind of um, for that. And so I think I think you're probably going to end up seeing that once they put the next gen car in. Um, the only issue with that is that you know the criticism I saw is that you got to make it bigger because now that um, sponsors are changing and most teams have multiple sponsors for every race and you no longer can identify the car with uh, you know the sponsor like how we did in the 90s with like DuPont, Goodwrench, Budweiser and other uh, sponsors that are no longer in this sport um, now it seems like the number is the identity of the car and that's always been a tradition so they've got to make it a little bit bigger and put a little bit more emphasis and if they have to move it to the back to compensate for uh, visibility for the sponsor, uh, you know, with with it being on the side rather on the uh, rear as it's traditionally been, then I guess we'll have to live with it, you know. But it's not it's not the end of the world. It's just you have to understand kind of like they're not just changing it to change it. They're doing it because the design of the car is kind of um, making them do it, um, and especially if it brings in more sponsors or makes sponsors more visible then you know, they're going to do it of course and then another thing going back to the light thing they said that that was like kind of like to help with brand identity which i kind of find to be, uh, be ridiculous a little bit and if anything you know they've um, brand identity should be able to um, be visible through the shape of the cars i don't understand like why the, the cars aren't like 100 percent um like copy of the like at least the body isn't a hundred percent copy of the the shape of the real car like yeah like maybe it can be made out of different materials like with sheet metal and carbon fiber and all, all that but you know like when you compare the uh, nascar stock car whether it's a chevy toyota or ford to its street counterpart you know outside of like 
the bumpers and you know the the side panels it looks nothing like it you know the uh the greenhouses um they all have basically a common greenhouse and and with the the rear of the car um kind of being in, in a similar shape or not the rear bumper but like you know the where around the um the rear windows are like that that part of the car is very similar uh, across the three makes and it's very hard um for them to have brand identity but if they just if they just mandated that the manufacturers um designed a car that at least looked like a 100 percent replica then that would probably help with brand identity for sure and then again you know form follows function is a thing and has been a thing for a while and certainly that's uh you know something that they have to counteract but you know, i think they can do better things for brand identity than just lights yeah, a lot of good points there, man. Um, I didn't know it was about brand identity. I mean, the the point you made about, you know, just strictly making them look like the real thing is is the easiest way to get brand identity. They haven't had they, – they made the COT Gen 5 car, and it had no brand identity. It was just basically a shitbox with stickers – and they had engines or whatever. And in the case of Toyota, like if you're going to get in a brand identity, you're going to talk about Toyota and a V8 engine. We That's like a whole different, that's for off season talking about the BS that Toyota has been able to do in their time. They had engines from each manufacturer and they made their engine. And then you have all the money of TRD and all that to go and make a NASCAR motor. And there you're going to talk about brand identity. And then they had, a couple of good years, one couple with the COT, then the Gen 6 came along. They were dominant in 13, then in 14 they sucked. They changed the rules in 15, and since then, you know, conveniently Kyle Busch has been, I think, the most prolific winner out of that whole entire group, uh, out of the whole entire Cup Series, um, conveniently. It's not just his own talent. I think it also helps when you have other things in your favor there too, but... Beside the point, in terms of brand identity, they haven't had it. We've they lost it when they made the lobster, uh, uh, whatever they I forget what they called it. The the they the they they had a nickname for it. Whatever the Gen Four cars, whatever I called them, the lobster cars because they just looked ridiculous and they had like all the downforce, like they removed, like they. They had the yaw and they had all the different things. Like they, they just look weird. And it was especially funny in the Arca series when the crappy teams would run those lobster cars against the, you know, the, the whatchamacall, the, the, the composite cars, which are also crappy, but, you know, like they have kind of a puzzle kind of deal to them. And they said they'd be cheaper, but they obviously aren't. And that's where they're going. That's what NASCAR is basically doing with the Gen 7, which um, that the point you made, uh, Josh, about the number being moved because they're going to have less space because the Gen 7 car is going to be more of a kit car. They're removing a lot of the spacing in terms of the back bumper and uh, where, you know, behind the C-pillar where over the quarter panel where there always used to be, you would be able to put that sponsorship, not going to be able to do it. There's a very small space and the RTA basically took away all the contingency sponsor spots for whatever reason. And now they're using, that's just blank space, which just to me, I always love looking at the contingencies. It was just something that I got used to uh, over the years and now that doesn't exist because it's just blank. Now there's some justification in the sense that the Gen 7 car, they're going to need that space for whatever, you know, sponsor they're going to come up with. Um, Goosage said something about, oh, they should have a common scheme, and then you go and change. It's like that's not going to happen the way things are. You're not going to keep an M&M scheme for freaking interstate batteries. They're not going to keep uh, – Pennzoil scheme for whatever the hell um, batteries um, or for the the Duralast brakes or whatever. 
Um, the brand, I, the the sponsor identity doesn't exist anymore, um, and it hasn't for a while, um, and that's part of the problem. Did you want to say something, Josh? Yeah, actually, um, just to point on that last sponsor, the uh, you know it should be noted that the 22 car has basically had the same scheme since 2011, and they've used that scheme as a base for a lot of their other uh, sponsors. So it, it is actually possible to have a common scheme. I mean, actually, that was last uh, last night was actually the first time they even made a change to that design since its inception. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out, but but yeah, like you, for the most part, you're not going to have uh, much um, with the sponsor. Like it's it's only like if you can design the the paint scheme around the sponsor, will you have like a common scheme like the 22 car? But that's just um, how Ro- Roger Penske does things. Good point. Good point. Like the scallop number, like they have that swoosh and a scallop number. Yeah. When thinking about it, you're you're exactly right on that. So I figured out the one thing. So I just gave Goosage something. Look at that. I just made him look good. Motherfucker. It's a great day. Um, sometimes they, the, the freaking squirrel finds a nut once in a while. So good on uh, Goosage. He can go and point at uh, Joey Logano's scheme there is the reason why we should just all have common schemes but um because they just alternated the colors on that for the for the um autozone bullshit but the reality is there aren't sponsors like that permanent sponsor so the number was the identity moving it to the back now that they're not going to have as much space as it makes sense that they're doing that so it's basically they're parking it because they know in 22 that's what it's going to look like. Um, the choose cone, I think, if you would actually show it, and depending on every racetrack, it's fine. I believe it works. It's going to be in there. I think they're going to implement it, um, and it'll be implemented soon. Um, the under light thing is a gimmick, and unless you were going to do it at night, race you're going to do it in in invitational races that's it and it should be this it should fit the paint scheme of the car and that's it it shouldn't be about manufacture it shouldn't be about it should be green for monster it should be yellow for or whatever color m&m you want to do you want to do um pennzoil red you could be yellow or red if you want under armor it was red you know like etc etc you know purple for jimmy johnson because he looks like somebody would like tinky winky you know like it 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 is you could choose whatever it would be fine that would have been better um but you know it's the all-star race uh we will uh move on to the indy car race there's going to be two races at iowa this weekend um I wanted to ask, uh, in terms of favorites, who do you look for, Josh, in terms of favorites for the Iowa IndyCar races, um, both short ovals? Well, I think, obviously, you got to start off with Scott Dixon. I mean, he's the hottest driver right now in IndyCar, and by extension, probably even his teammate, Felix Rosenquist, is probably somebody to look at, just because um, I would expect that you know they would have a, a a better team overall since they won all the races so far and you know he did good at texas as well and even though that's a long oval you know it's an oval and maybe they uh will be able to transfer that success to a short oval and then you can't count out the penske guys either i expect uh joseph newgarden to probably be a threat uh simon pagino and uh willpower all should be up there and maybe even alexander rossi maybe this is the where he starts to turn around. Maybe this is the race where it kind of he can kind of get on a roll and kind of started last week with his third place finish at uh, Road America. And maybe he can continue that success. Yeah, I mean, all good picks there. Uh, there's going to be uh, K&N, Arca, whatever. I'm mixing it up. Yeah, Arca, Menard race there uh, this weekend as well. Uh, I think that's before the uh, Indy second Indy car race in terms of former winners that are in the in the field. 
Joseph Newgarden won there twice, once for Penn last year for Penske and also for I think Sarah Fisher Hartman Carpenter or whatever. And then um Brian Hunter Ray's won there three times for Andretti and Marco Andretti, yes, Marco Andretti has won races. Um it's hard to believe considering how terrible he is these days and how much of a douche he is. But yeah, he has won um that was his last win back in twenty eleven. So he hasn't won a race in um eight and a half years or eight year, nine years now, actually, because it was June of 2011. So it's nine years since his last win. Um, that'll go longer. Of course, um, Tony Kanan won there, uh, once in his, uh, retirement tour only doing ovals. Um, thankfully he's in the 14 instead of Dalton Kellett, um, because Dalton Kellett sucks. So that will, be interesting of course i would i mean you have to look at new garden uh he's had kind of a rough start to the uh 2020 season and uh he some of the finishes he's had relative to where um he runs would be he'd be a little disappointed i mean he's fifth in points 67 out so he's only 13 points out of second but to only have uh, one podium after he scored two poles has uh, got to be a disappointment there. He had a chance to win the race on Saturday at Road America and stalled it. So we'll look at Joseph Newgarden, I would say. Um, Colton Herta is kind of a wild card. He's never really shown a lot on ovals, but he's been the most consistent guy that isn't Scott Dixon. So can he come through? Can he finally um, show himself on an oval and make something happen there? Uh, it's an opening really for a lot of these guys that are really behind here. If they can have, they can put two, two nights together at Iowa, whether it's Alexander Rossi, whether it's, you know, Ryan Hunter Ray, Santucci, you know, like even Will Power, if you can put two good nights together, you can get yourself right back into this points race, considering how tight and how many races they're going to run. They haven't, I mean, I don't know if they're going to announce any more races. It doesn't seem like they're going to announce any more races as it stands. Cause Indianapolis of course is like the bogey thing. Um, they do have, they're not going to be able to put anything in between uh, these races at Iowa and the next race at mid Ohio. And then after Mid-Ohio, if they would run Indianapolis, they need a week and a half or a couple weeks for Indianapolis. So um, there's, it's it's right now, it's, everything's kind of settled. You're going to have to make things happen. Um, if you're already nearly close to a th- or, or just over a third of the way through the season after Iowa, the first race tomorrow. And if they if you're that far behind, then you're in real trouble. I mean, yes, there's double points at Indianapolis, so that's definitely in play um, for the 500. Uh, there will be two races at Laguna, which is a very tight circuit. St. Pete as a, as a series finale instead of the series opener as it's been forever could be kind of a game changer, but um, Indianapolis GP in the fall, probably be much colder, be harder to switch tires on, but it's a big deal. This weekend here is going to be a big deal in terms of who's going to win um, this IndyCar Series championship, I believe. I think if you can make things happen uh, this weekend, it could really determine uh, what happens there. Um, I mean, just uh, before we move on to Formula One, who would you like to pick uh, a winner if you have two winners for both days or um, what are you looking for? Since you're betting, you're you're pretty good at picking winners. I want to hear what your winners are so I can go and put some bets in on uh, fantasy. <laughs> oh, man. You're putting me on the spot now. It's, it's going to be a thing, but no, I, I don't mind. Um, uh, I think I would go on the first race. I'm going to say Scott Dixon. Uh, the second race, I will say Joseph Newgarden. Okay. All right. And uh, 
keep in mind that uh, qualifying for the race will be tomorrow, for both races will be tomorrow. Lap one will determine the field for Friday's race. Lap two will determine the field for Saturday. Saturday will only have one short practice before the race later on in the evening. So um, they're going to run a, that ARCA race before that. Then they're going to have practice. So then they'll be able to lay the Firestone rubber down and um, run the race on to, on Saturday night. Tomorrow they'll run one practice qualifying and then uh, a race. Both of them will be 250 laps, and which is per per usual and uh we will see um to me i i think new garden wins one of them and um i think alexander rossi goes out there and wins uh one of them that's just my thought but i'm not saying to bet on it um i'm not as good as josh at picking them so um but in either way uh, we will see what happens with that um Turning to Formula One, Hungarian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton has won in Hungary seven times in his career. Um, when you consider he's won 80-something races, it's you've got to have won a lot of places uh, a lot of times. So um, in terms of um, choosing or looking at uh, racetracks or looking at things for for this weekend who do you look for i guess the better question is who do you look for outside of lewis hamilton to possibly go out there and and make something happen here um this weekend uh yeah i think i would probably go with uh the other mercedes car and valtteri botas that would be somebody to look at and then possibly maybe even someone like uh max verstappen uh, I think he uh, Formula One for the Red Bull team has at at Hungary Ring has been very. They've been seems like they've been very successful there in recent years. So I would expect them to be a major player as well. And then probably have to look for uh, maybe McLaren can continue their role that they've been on to start the season with uh, at least with Lando Norris. So, but I guess out of all those three, I probably would a safe second choice would probably be um, Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, Bottas was safe, uh, safe pick there. Obviously, um, you go and look at what uh, Hungary and you look at what uh, the over the years, you don't have to have the best car at the Hungaro ring to to win. Uh, if you, it's really a lot of track position. Um, night, there's only been twice in the history of the of this Grand Prix has somebody came out from outside of fourth. Um, most of the time, it's pole. Uh, virtually all, but those like what is it? One, two, three, four. Five times in the history of this race, it's happened since 1986. Only five times has this race been won outside of the top three. So basically, you have to look at qualifying. Uh, if you if you don't qualify well, it's going to be outside of the front two rows. It's going to be very difficult for you. Um, you'll need to either have alternative strategy or whether to, if there's rain or something like that rain did play a role last year weather did play a role last year in the race and it was uh, interesting um they had a lead change late with uh, lewis and uh, max or stop in there but fundamentally it's it's gonna be hard to to see somebody outside of Mercedes win or Red Bull win. Um, it'd be nice to look at an Alexander Albon. Maybe he gets a better weekend. He finally puts a, a qualifying together and he maybe gets on the front row. He hasn't done that in his career yet. Um, I don't think he's ever been on the top three either. So that would be a big move step forward. Of course, for stopping wants to 
start making some ground up after Austria, the first race, when he finished dead last. Uh, he needs to make some points up. Of course, the points battle is very tight between Botas and Lewis Hamilton. Botas has never won at Hungary. As I said, uh, Lewis has won seven times there. Uh, he's started on pole. He's started in third. He's start in fourth. He started in fourth in 2009 in what was a really bad McLaren um, following his world championship in 2008. Uh, the 2009 car with the new regulations was pretty trash, but he did win that race. So, and he also won in 2013 with uh, the Mercedes W04, which was his first year there. And that wasn't generally the best car either um but he was able to do that so it's uh to be seen um i mean you look at lando norris uh the mclaren car you have to also look at racing point this midfield battle that exists here with um mclaren racing point they've never really been great at hungary so if they can show out well here um, it could be a big deal for them in terms of constructors. Um, Ferrari, it sounds like, from what Sebastian Vettel has said and um, other things that whatever updates that they're going to be bringing, they're not going to make that big of a difference, which means they're going to be behind the eight ball going into um, the next, the, the into the British, the two races in 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 Silverstone and Catalonia prior to the summer break. So that'll be an issue to say the least. Uh, be in the lookout before we come back for the next episode here of the GSP for announcements in regards to um, Imola being added and Portimao in uh, Portugal being added for um, the, the, um, 2020 Formula One season to replace some of the other races uh, that were there. And um, I'm curious, I think as much as anything, you do look at Mercedes and Red Bull being up front. I, I would look at the midfield. That's as interesting as anything and kind of to see what happens with Ferrari. Uh, before we go tonight, um, we'll just go over the NHRA and uh, the the IMSA. IMSA will be running uh, the at Sebring along with the with the what do you call the WeatherTech series, and then the Michelin Pilot Challenge will also be running. Um, just while we're talking about that, um, hope uh, you know send prayers and thoughts to Catherine Legg who had a big accident. Um, at uh, Paul Ricard testing for the European Le Mans series. Um, had a broken leg and injured her wrist. Um, hope for her to come back. She's made her name here in America, ran indie cars, ran sports cars, really good uh, spokesperson and really good example for uh, women drivers. Um, hope she'll be back soon. Um, in terms of the race at Sebring, the Cadillac Grand Prix of Sebring, there will be eight uh, Daytona Prototype Internationals, and then there will be another five LMP2, which are the spec that they run also and in the WEC. The DPIs are based on LMP2 chassis with the manufacturer engine and uh, body body uh, branding here. And then, of course, you have GT Le Mans, which is full factory support, very narrow in terms of how many teams are involved, only three teams. And then GT Daytona, which is based on the GT3 platform and has a lot of cars, but with all the things that are going on here in COVID, fields have gotten kind of narrow. Um, I'll pass it to you, Josh. In terms of who do you look for uh, in the overall uh, here at Sebring, it's been a place where uh, the Cadillacs 
they do well at Daytona. They're able to kind of do their thing here. But Mazda won at Daytona a couple weeks ago. And Acura with Team Penske is very tough here. And it's only a sprint race that isn't 12 hours. So um, who do you look for on the overall here at um, Sebring? Yeah, I think you definitely have to kind of roll with uh, the hot hand with uh, the Mazda and Team Penske. You know, they seem like the rule changes that um, kind of favor that they had last week or two weeks ago with the balance of power or balance of performance with uh, the Chevy and Cadillacs and versus the uh, versus Penske with Acura and Mazda. I think you have to go with Mazda and Acura just because it seems like, I guess if if they keep something like that, it would favor the um, those cars. And so I, I would definitely look for another performance from uh, Mazda, or if not, maybe Acura with Team Penske. And and uh, but then again, it's also possible that we see the Cadillacs come back to the forefront. You know, you always have to look for uh, Ricky or not Ricky Taylor, but because uh, he drives for Penske now, but. Um, you have to look look for the uh, Taylor Racing, yeah, with Jordan Taylor. Well, he's um, actually now at Corvette Racing. So. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah but it's, I mean, um, they still the number the ten Wayne car. Taylor. You're talking yeah. about the number ten car with Renger Vanderzanda yeah. and um, Ryan Mansky Briscoe. Yeah, yeah, the the um, Taylor Racing, Wayne Taylor Racing. Yeah, I mean, they could always they've always been a factor in IMSA and even uh, Mustang sampling. Uh, racing or um well they used to be called action express and that's what i remember yeah, now has. they're you now they're with jdc miller yeah with uh, their teammates with the the 85 car the the um, the action express team is basically the whalen engineering car now the number 31 right right yeah and so i i, I look for you know if, if um cadillac comes back at the forefront i think i'd focus on those two teams yeah, I mean, you're when when I I would definitely say um, defending series champions Dane Cameron Juan Pablo Montoya would be my choice for uh, this race. Um, I would also look at the ten car they won the Rolex Twenty Four with Scott Dixon um, and Kamui Kobayashi as their other co-drivers, but Vanderzanda and Ryan Briscoe are definitely tough and um you know i it the the 31 would be up there to me but felipe nazar had covid they haven't um confirmed if he's going to be back if he's passed uh whatever tests for the covid so if he isn't back i mean even if they have um they had uh what's his name gabby chavez great driver great talent um, should be in an Indy car instead of changing oil in somebody's driveway. But uh, he did a good job at Daytona with Pippo Durrani. But um, that's one to look for. The Mazdas have just kept on improving the last couple of years. And uh, they have such a solid group there. Um, Multimatics running that, group, that team. And um, the prototype battle is definitely going to be tough. Uh, for sure. Uh, the LMP2 is also going to be interesting. You have PR1 Matheson and Dragon Speed, um, Elton Julian's team, and then you have uh, Starworks running. Uh, Ryan Diels probably out of the out of all the drivers in in the class, he's probably the best one. So, you know, those are three cars to really look at there in LMP2. Corvette came out, one at Daytona a couple weeks ago. Um, they've been doing a lot of testing. Porsche uh, is kind of, they're on their way. Um, it's the end of the factory program on the American side. So I would look for the Porsche guys to kind of show up here. And they've made their name over the years winning these these endurance races and kind of outlasting others. So um I wouldn't be surprised if Porsche comes out and wins in GTLM and GT Daytona. Of course, Aim Vassar Sullivan won uh, at Daytona 
uh, with Aaron Tellitz, Jack Hawksworth, who's a guy who used to run IndyCar himself, Aaron Tellitz, who's in the Mazda Road to Indy program. Uh, he replaced Parker Chase, who's um, decided to run ARCA and run um, late models for um, Chad Bryant. So um, that's a team to watch. Um, Aaron Tellitz is a super silver to say the least, same way as like Frankie Manicalvo is a super silver. So we will see when when it comes to um, that and some of these other teams here. Um, it's only, uh, what's it, six, four, 10 car field. So a little lean. Um, it is a sprint race. So um, even with the sprint cup going, it's kind of a lean uh, uh, uh field but hey we will see what happens um the last uh thing we'll go over here is the nhra they came back last week at um at irp or or lucas oil raceway or whatever you want to call it it's been a there's been a hell of a lot of names at um there it's indianapolis raceway park to me uh, the NHRA came back after uh, post-COVID, had uh, all four classes run, and um, in terms you had uh, Billy Torrance won in Top Fuel, Matt Hagen won in Funny Car, uh, the Force Cars didn't run in either class, um, so I will see you in terms of uh, that for this week, Jason Line kept his uh, win streak alive in pro stock. He's going to be retiring at the end of this year. And Ryan Ayler won in pro stock motorcycle, his first career win in um, pro stock motorcycle racing. So when we look at event in over the Lucas Oil Summer Nationals at Indianapolis, it's a precursor to what we're going to see in about uh, six, seven weeks time. The U.S. Nationals, the granddaddy of them all, the biggest NHRA race of the year um, in terms of that. Um, you look at um, who do you look for to kind of stand out. And uh, this week it's only going to be top fuel. It'll be the fuel categories fuel dragster funny car they'll have pro mod and top fuel harley but um in terms of top fuel and funny car um what are you looking for uh josh in terms of a winner it doesn't look like uh yeah there's no britney force so that means there's probably uh and there is no robert height so there you go yeah so there is no john force cars this week either so um, who do you look for to have a chance to win here um, this week? Yeah, I mean, um, I think you have to go look back at last year. Doug Cotillia was, you know, the winner last year. And um, can't go wrong see how he does this year. You know, somebody else, maybe somebody like uh, Antron Brown and Top Fuel. Definitely, you know, he's definitely been around for a while. And I could see him winning, um, taking the uh, win here in Top Fuel. And then, you know, going to uh, Funny Car, you know, somebody maybe like uh, Ron Caps or uh, Cruz Pedregon, somebody, those are guys I'd probably look at that potentially, you know, might uh, come out in the Funny Car class. Yeah, Coletta and um, New Jersey's Antron Brown. I've always been a fan of Antron since his days when he rode for his cousin, Troy Vincent, now the... Um, think the head of the players association the nfl um the nfl pa so uh, he used to play for the philadelphia eagles and his cousins antron brown he was team 23 and rode a Mo- suzuki and motorcycle and now he's become a multi-time top field champion he's running uh his own team this year for the first time with help from don schumacher so they'll um that's those are two good solid choices there um be interesting to see i mean it the the field is kind of is kind of lean looking at it um i think langdon 
Sean Langdon, who's uh, Coletta's teammate at in the DHL car, would be one. Uh, you know, you look at Tony Schumacher, who may or may not race after this week. Uh, finally made a return, went and proposed to his girlfriend last week uh, at Indy. Um, he's after being away from the series because he lost the U.S. Army sponsorship. Would be interesting for him. He's won more than anybody ever at Indy, so or as many races as anybody at Indy. So, be a way to go and kind of do a walk-off shot, so to speak. Um, but uh, I mean, it's a it's a tight field. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, no Brittany and no um, no uh, what do you call um Austin Proc kind of hurts a little bit in terms of the depth for the field you got a guy from flemington driving here so that's something um never heard of him though and then uh for funny car uh it's guy you got a more than likely it's going to be a dsr car uh you know there was last week it was uh freaking matt hagan so um, you would assume whether it's Matt Hagen or Caps or or Tommy Johnson Jr. or even Beckman. I, one of the, one of them guys. I figure. I mean, Bob Tasca comes back from the Corona. Uh, well, they ran that car ran well. The Motocraft Ford ran well with uh, Johnny Lindbergh last week. So we will see with that. Blake Alexander's kind of a wild card with the the Jim Head car. If it gets really hot. Uh, it's an opportunity there. Um, Paul Lee's running with um, Don Schumacher stuff with the Dodge body and all that. That's kind of a wild card as well. There's really, I mean, J.R. Todd uh, in the former champion, DHL Camry for Coletta. Uh, he's somebody that could come through. Um, he's won the U.S. Nationals before. So um, if it isn't going to be... Uh, a DSR car, I'd probably look at J.R. Todd as long as he doesn't smoke the tires. Um, that's usually the thing when it comes to Coletta cars. They usually smoke the tires. Uh, with that, we'll be back next uh, next week on the Grip Strip Podcast. Only one episode because there won't be your – yeah, because there's no point of recapping Kansas because Kansas sucks. Um, we'll have one kind of reviewing everything that went on this weekend – at uh, Iowa, at Texas, Indy, Sebring, Hungary, and uh, preview upcoming events for that week. And then um, anything else that's going on here? Um, you have anything going out, Josh? Uh, no, not really. I've been just you know, looking forward uh, to all the racing we'll see this weekend. It's nice to be back to normal, so to speak. I mean, in a time, in a place that we are in society where things have become you know really abnormal and a lot of bad's been going on and we've seen a lot of bad come up um, having racing as an escape is nice so um, for whatever it may bring or for whatever it may be at least we have it and uh, be grateful for it we're grateful for it and we'll talk about it here on the GSP. So um, thanks for listening to us. You can follow us on uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, on our personal pages. You can also find us on Twitter um, with the Grip Strip Podcast. And we're on uh, iTunes and uh, Podbean. Um, so find us, let us know, like us, let us know what we want to hear future episodes. Um, and, uh, all have a good night. Take care. God bless.